Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you. And thank you for um, mentioning the seven spirits, too. Uh, that's a lead-in. So you are, you and I are, are are in the same on the same page with the Spirit. Um, uh, lead-in for Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is going to be a continuation, and it really picks up the details of justice and judgment. And we talked about this last time that. We know that the pillars of his throne is justice and judgment. And justice is the same as righteousness, translated the same as righteousness. And they're tandems. They go together. There's a purpose and there's a reason of why they go together. And the seven spirits are like that as well. And I, I, I was thinking about bringing up the seven spirits, and you did, Don, uh, in prayer by the spirit. So the, the seven spirits, uh, think about the candlestick and or the menorah but uh, the menorah has been changed over the years uh, to have nine candles it was seven candles it should be seven candles it's biblically seven candles where it is the seven spirits it represents the seven spirits as well and the middle uh, candle the main candle is the shema and that represents the spirit of yahuwah the spirit of yeshua and then as you go out you have these three tandems that go together. And we know that the beginning of wisdom, the wisdom being the candle that is closest to the candle of Yahuwah, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of Yahuwah. So there is a progression that takes place, and it's like it's also a building. So the fear of Yahuwah and knowledge go hand in hand. The more you sense his fear and his awe, the more you are driven to know him. I have to know you. I have to know you. I have to inquire within your temple. I have to inquire within your temple. There is a knowing. There's a driving. And Paul talked about this in in terms of I am compelled. There's a compelling, and that compelling comes with the fear of Yahuwah, this awe that you have. And therefore, you just can't get enough. You are just hungry, 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 and he fills you. So those spirit, spirits go in tandem. The spirit of counsel and might go in tandem as well. And thinking about the spirit of counsel and might, um, I, I, I've been spending more time with the spirit, spirits of counsel and might lately. Um, it, it almost as if it, it, the spirits of counsel and might are your friends, they're your partners in, in life as you're walking through day to day. Uh, should I turn left? Should I turn right? Should I stop? Should I go? Should I speak? Should I listen? And that's asking the spirit of counsel. Now, why the spirit of might goes with the spirit of counsel? Because when you are listening to the spirit of counsel, the spirit of counsel is not only directing you and responding to you on what to do and how to do it, but also where the presence of Yah is. So if you are supposed to stop, then that's where the presence of Yah is. 
It's almost like the camp. Was it time to pick up the camp or was it time to set the camp? Well, that was all dependent on where the presence of Yah is. So wherever his presence is and listening to the spirit of counsel, then might comes along because that's where his presence is. And then the might enacts what the spirit of counsel is telling you to do. So they go in tandem. The spirit of understanding and the spirit of wisdom also go in tandem. And I've had uh, greater revelation on this within my own mansion lately about uh, where I get understanding and where I get uh, wisdom. And I think I shared maybe this with you guys last time. Understanding, I get in a library. And in the library is a fireplace where I sit down with Yeshua. So I op- the books open up, I go through the books, and then I sit down in front of the fireplace and we talk. And he says, ah, this is the, did you understand this? This is, this is what this means. And then he, he takes me through these things. Um, so when I do studies, I often will be in the library or at the fireplace. Wisdom is a different place. For me, it's close to the room of where I get understanding. And wisdom is a single chair and there's like nothing on it. It's like all white. Sometimes it's all blue. And I sit there. And for for someone who is immature, it's a difficult place to go in because you really don't do anything. You sit. And wisdom then, as I sit and I meditate, wisdom kind of comes in like it it gets absorbed in my skin and in my being and in my spirit and my soul. Because when you think about wisdom, how do you study for wisdom? Because you don't know the situations that are going to happen. So you need to have wisdom with you and then wisdom comes forth within the situation. Knowledge, you can study topics. Understanding, you can get understanding on a topic. Wisdom is not so. Wisdom just is and then comes forth. So in order to get wisdom, there's this room that I meditate in, and wisdom then kind of soaks in me, and wisdom is in me. So these go hand in hand. So understanding and wisdom are together. Counsel and might go together. Knowledge and the fear of Yah go together. And I say that because justice and judgment go together. They're tandems. Okay, so that's that's the setup to Isaiah 58 and what we're going to get into. We left off on a couple verses in, in Isaiah 57, and I think I'm just going to go forward and start with Isaiah 58. So Isaiah 58, verse 1. Remember, this is all a continuation of Isaiah. This all goes together. Last time he he said, hey, you got to get ready for the Sabbath. And that is even pre-Abraham, pre-Book of the Law, pre-Noah, get ready for the Sabbath. That is a a sign of someone who's following me. He also said there's no uh, excuses. And he talked about the the, the eunuch and the son of the stranger, no excuses to get ready. Uh, we also then got into Isaiah, Isaiah 57, where uh, there was a, 
a reason why Israel was so shattered and scattered is because the watchmen had, didn't have their eyes. Um, the, the shepherds weren't doing their jobs. And then there was this major stumbling block then that was placed before people. And the stumbling block that we saw in, when we dug into the scripture was the lack of ability to see and to hear. And that's why Yeshua says over and over again, you have eyes, but you cannot see, and you have ears, but you cannot hear. So that all now comes into Isaiah 58. He's going to get into another topic now. All continuation, but another topic. Isaiah 58, verse 1. Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. This, to me, is is the Spirit speaking to Isaiah and say, I just gave you something tough. I just told you what's going on and what's needed for the glory I'm about to reveal in the later chapters. You got to do this again. You got to strengthen some more because now this is going to be another tough chapter. There's another tough message. So I, Isaiah, do not hold back. Go for it. That's that. This is this is a little. This verse is a message to Isaiah to get going. That's what he's saying. And it's about transgression and sin, which I think is interesting. It's not about iniquity. It's transgression in terms of. You guys are actually rebelling against me. You're being disobedient against me, and you don't even necessarily know it. And, oh, by the way, if you really want to get into it, let me show you where just in general mankind is off. And that's sin, missing the mark. And Isaiah is about to give that message. So he is trying to encourage Isaiah to step forth. That's what this is about. Verse 2. Yes. Here comes the message. Yes. They seek me. They, the house of Jacob, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation. Now, we talked several times ago that nation is the same word as what we get translated Gentile or Goyim. It's the same thing. So now he's saying, Jacob, you're a Goy. (laughs) So just keep that in mind. Um, As a nation, that did righteousness. So they seek and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness. So they think they're doing what's right. And forsook not the ordinance. Ordinance is the same word as judgment. So you got righteousness and judgment. They actually think they're doing the right thing and God's presence should be with them. That's what the that's the beginning of this tough message. And forsook not the ordinance or judgment of their Elohim. They ask of me the judgment of justice, the ordinances of justice, the mishpat of justice, or zadik. They take delight in approaching God. So this is a group of people that do not understand they're missing the mark, and they don't understand the tandem of justice and judgment. They think they should just get judgment. Now, keep in mind, and, and I know Dan's gone through a series on judgment and uh, justice and being a judge, judgment often we think about as negative, and negative in, in the sense of God's going to judge the wicked. No, judgment by definition is the verdict or the outcome. So it is an outcome of the wicked acts 
It's also an outcome of the righteous acts. We want judgment not just on our enemies. We want judgment on our works. We want judgment on righteousness because his judgment for the righteous is a verdict or an outcome of his culture onto the earth. So for his kingdom to come onto the earth is judgment. It is a verdict. It is an ordinance. It is his culture coming down. It is judgment. So think about that. They are thinking that they should have judgment upon their enemies and also upon their good works. And Isaiah saying, you guys don't even get it. You don't understand the tandem that's taking place. Judgment for your righteousness means you need to do righteousness. You need to be just to get judgment. So he's going to get into a few things. We're supposed to do what's right every day. Righteousness, by definition, is doing that which is right. So we want to do right every day, all the time, and it's a practice. We practice worship. We practice prayer. We practice righteousness start with the little things what am i doing in in, in these little walks am i supposed to leave the house today and get in the car and go somewhere ask am i if you hear the holy spirit say pick up your bible do you do that or you say and i'll do that but i'm going to do something else first practice doing what's right. We practice prayer. We practice worship. We need to do these things regularly to get into that mindset of doing righteousness, doing righteousness, doing righteousness. Okay? Now, of course, the Father is going to pour out um, judgment um, against our enemies and, and for the betterment on our behalf because he wants to. But if you want to partner with him, in this justice and judgment tandem, he requires more and more. Just like as a, as a child in faith, we just have to cry out and he responds. But as we get more mature, he gives us more details to partner with because that's what he wants us to do. He wants partnership. He wants partnership into the earth. He wants partnership of his kingdom everywhere we go. So practice this. Um, this word approaching is kind of stood out to me when I was studying this. And the word approaching comes from the, the Hebrew word, uh, Strong 7132, ker'abah. And the context in Isaiah 58.2 is that these folks, the house of Jacob, thinks they're doing what's right, and they think they are approaching God. The first mention of this, comes from Genesis 12. And Isaiah, I don't know why, but I'm, I'm seeing just a lot of first mentions that Isaiah is bringing first mentions to throughout this study. Genesis 12 is the first mention. Now, where did we also get first mention of justice and judgment together? It was with Abraham in Genesis 18, 19, where he said, I know, Abraham, that he will do righteousness or justice and judgment. So Abraham is someone with justice and judgment, but look at the approaching word. Genesis 12, verse 11. 
So Abraham gets the call from God. He leaves Ur. He has his covenant. And now he goes down to Egypt. And what does Abraham do in Genesis 12, 11? And it came to pass when he came near to Egypt that he said unto Sarah, his wife, behold now, I know that you are a fair woman to look upon. That doesn't seem like anything to do with approaching, but it says, when the Egypt, uh, therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians see they shall say, his wife will kill me. It came to pass when he was come near, that's the approaching, to Egypt. So the word is tied with deception. They were deceived in their approaching to God. Abraham, he was going to be deceived as he approached Egypt, and that because he was approaching this spiritual element that he was not ready for, the reaction of him was he had to lie. That came upon him. So now these people, because they're not doing justice, when they approach God, it's actually they're flipping it, and there's a deceit there. They're actually lying to themselves, just like Abraham when he approached Egypt and he was not equipped to fight the things in Egypt. That came upon him, and it caused him to lie. So there was a deception. There's a deception there in approaching. One of the, to me, one of the worst things um, that the enemy has done against the body of Christ is to have people think they're believers and they're not. It's better, and that's why Yeshua said this, it's better that you're hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I spit you out of my mouth. And that's what's happening here. Isaiah is about to say, I got to really dig deep on this because these people aren't even believers. And they're actually doing religious things. So here we go, Isaiah 58, verses 3 to 5. This is what they say. Wherefore have we fasted, and you see not? Have we afflicted our souls, and you take no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. So these people are saying, we fasted, we've afflicted our souls. What do you mean you're not listening to us? We, but we fasted. You're, you're not hearing us? We don't understand. Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure in exact all of your labors. So this is God now speaking with them. Behold, you fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. You shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Is this such a fast that I have chosen for you? A day for a man to flick his soul and to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes upon him? Will you call this a fast, an acceptable day unto Yahweh? <laughs> so Isaiah is going at it right away. The obvious reason potentially for a wrong fast is you're trying to do this out of your flesh. Sometimes we do this out of the flesh and it's so easy. No, I think I'm going to do something spiritual and I'm going to fast. 
or it might be good to fast and maybe uh, to help my body uh, kind of reset. Maybe I need to lose weight. <laughs> and then you, you twist it, and then it becomes a fast. I only fast when God tells me to fast. And I actually seek him frequently. Should I fast about this? Should I fast about this? And he'll say no, no, no. And then occasionally he'll say yes. So there's a lot of fasting that we can do in our own flesh for the wrong reasons. Now, Isaiah is also saying that you fast because you want results or you want judgment, but you haven't done righteousness. So you want to get judgment to go against something or to go against somebody. You're so far off the mark. And when you fast like that without the leading of God, what I have found, it is miserable, absolutely miserable. A meal is miserable. A day is miserable. Several days is miserable. I've tried to do it in my flesh. It's awful, awful, awful. When I've done it by the Spirit, it actually is fairly smooth. He's calling you. Now, there's times when there's, it's a little bit of a struggle because that's part of the, the seeking and the diligence, but it's a totally different experience. So he's getting at these folks that are fasting in their own flesh and for the wrong reasons. Now, keep in mind, Sabbath is not a salvation issue. Fasting is not a salvation issue. Think about fasting in terms of how widespread it is. Lent is a fast of some sort. Now, really, people are going to give up chocolate for 40 days. And that's supposed to be spiritual. They made a whole celebration about how spiritual they're going to be called Mardi Gras. So Mardi Gras, or in, in Brazil, Carnival, is to celebrate how they're going to give up chocolate or something for 40 days. So that means what they do for Mardi Gras is let's get in as much sin as possible because for 40 days, we're not going to eat chocolate. God, aren't we righteous? I mean, seriously. That's what this, and, and people all around, the, there's probably a billion people that do this every year. Think about the spiritual frequency of this. But that's what Mardi Gras, Carnival are, leading up to fasting from chocolate or whatever. Um, Muslims do the same thing with Ramadan. They fast for for a day, and then at the evening, they eat as much food as they can because the next day they're going to fast for a little bit. So they sin as much as they can, and then they say, God, look how righteous we are, or Allah, Persian moon god. So we do the same thing with Lent. Our society does this. It's not that Isaiah is making this up. This is in our society. This is like one-fifth of all the world's population every year doing this. But it's more than that, too. And think about the, I think it's in Luke chapter 18, where there's, a, there's two men that come to pray. And there's a Pharisee, and then there is, is a poor man. And the Pharisee is basically coming before God and saying, Oh, God, I am so righteous. I am so glad that I'm not like that guy <laughs> because I obey all of your commandments. I fast regularly. I give my tithe. Look how righteous I am. 
That's the root of a wrong fast. God, I want judgment on people around me because they're not doing like it righteousness like I am. I need a breakthrough. That's what he's getting at. Or maybe it really is just pure selfishness. Maybe it's something we want. God, I really want this job, so I'm going to fast for it. God, I really need this financial breakthrough, so I fast for it. Did God tell you to fast for that reason? Are you not fasting in strife? Now, maybe he is. Maybe he's telling you to do it. But we do it for so many wrong reasons. And it's not just the fast. It's our prayer life, too. We're praying amiss because we're doing it for the wrong reasons. That's why it was so good that Don brought up the seven spirits of God. We need to be coordinating with them and being led by them. Spirit of counsel, how should I pray today? Most of the time when I begin my prayer in the morning, Yeshua, what are you doing today? What's on your heart today? I need to get aligned with your heart before I even start praying. Because I can wake up and start rolling down like a, 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 a choo-choo train and totally miss the direction that he's going at if I don't align with him. So we can do these spiritual things and get totally missed. So now you can understand how, what Isaiah is saying is you guys are actually being so religious, you don't have a clue that you're on the wrong track. And that's why we have to practice righteousness. Practice righteousness all the time. Um, Isaiah is going to flip it to good fasting. But before we do that, I want to mention the first mention of fasting. It comes from Judges. Uh, we'll go to Judges chapter 20, verse 26. And I, we, have, we would have to read the whole three chapters in context. We're not going to do that, but I want to want you to see this one verse and then I'll put it in context for you because it's very, very relieve, uh, revealing about fasting. Judges 20. Verse 26. Then all the children of Israel and all the people went up and came to the house of Elohim and wept and sat before Yahuwah and fasted. First mention of fasted in the scriptures. That day until evening and offered their burnt offerings and peace offerings before Yahuwah. Here's the context of fasting in Judges. It, the whole story is Judges 19, 20, and 21. Three full chapters. Now fasting to me and what this is getting at with this first mention is something similar to circumcision. It is something outward. And religious people love outward things. Because outward is something you can try to do yourself in your own strength. And something outward is also a show to everybody else to prove how righteous you are. That's why they always use circumcision. When Yeshua said circumcision of the heart is what's needed. Okay, how do I prove 
that my heart is circumcised. Because if my heart is circumcised, I actually have more of humility, and therefore I don't want to prove myself. So it's, it goes against it. But they didn't want that. They wanted to prove, yep, we circumcised our kid. We want to prove that we fasted. See, I have ashes and sackcloth. I'm, I'm dressed in sackcloth. I have ashes on my head. See, I'm fasting. So two of these really go hand in hand. So this is the first mention of fasting. And here's the story. It's an awful story. Read it, read it in your own time, but it is just an awful, awful story. And this is the conclusion of Judges. Israel, all 12 tribes are in the land. They don't have their king yet. And there is a man, a man of God, who has a woman is not his, is not his wife. She goes, they go, toward the tribe of Benjamin. And they're in the tribe of, around the tribe of Benjamin. Now, I say around the tribe and toward the tribe of Benjamin because Benjamin has aligned itself with this group of people called Gabeth, or Gabethites. And the Gabethites have what the Bible says are sons of Bilal. It's like offspring of Satan, offspring of Baal. They worship devils. And this is intermingled with the tribe of Benjamin. So this man and this woman go there and they attack these two as if they are like Sodom. And we know what happened with Sodom when they came after the angels. That's what was happening here. They abuse the woman. The woman dies. And this man sends out, he cuts up the woman in 12 pieces as a message to all the tribes to then come and attack the citizens of Gebeth and root out the sons of Bilal, these people operating with devils. Benjamin takes their side. So Benjamin is with this group. So all 11 tribes come and attack Benjamin and the Gabethites. Israel asked Yahuwah, should we go? Yes, they get beat. 11 tribes against one, they get beat. They ask again, should we go? 11 tribes against one, they get beat again. I don't understand this. They're on the righteous side. Clearly, Benjamin has a major problem. It's a tribe of Israel, but they have been infiltrated by Canaanites. So why is Israel, the other 11 tribes, getting beat? And now we have the setup of what we just read, Judges 20, 26. So the third time they fast, and in verse 28, Peneus, who now is the priest, because he's the son of Eliezer, who's the son of Aaron. So now he is the high priest. And he's the one that stayed off the plague back in, uh, in Numbers. He stayed off the plague because Israel had been infiltrated by Midianites. So now he comes back into play. 
And after fasting, Peneus, uh, now he says, should we go? And he says, yes, and this is how you go, spirit of counsel. And then they defeat Benjamin. That's the beginning of the fast. So what's happening with the fast? The fast is tied to judgment. But it's only because they did righteousness. It's because they did which was right. They were engaged with the spirit of counsel. They were engaged with the seven spirits of God. They were seeking Yahweh's face, and therefore judgment can come. Now, there's more to the story, because when we think about it was Benjamin that had been infiltrated, what's the symbol of the tribe of Benjamin? Throw it up in Zoom. Does anybody, anybody know? The symbol of the tribe of Benjamin. They all had symbols. Judah, for example, was a lion. Daughter Kayla knows. A wolf. Benjamin's symbol was a wolf. So you had a wolf that was in the midst of the sheep. And to root it out, you had to fast. Now go now fast forward into the gospels. Yeshua said, This situation, this type of devil only comes out with fasting. So this fasting component, you seek with righteousness, do you fast? You do righteousness to lead up to the fast. And then the fast is righteousness, and it brings forth judgment. That's the whole message about this fasting. They were doing judgment in their own righteousness, and therefore it was out of strife and fighting and contention. They had no clue what kind of judgment God wanted to to bring forth. So he withheld judgment because they were not doing righteousness. But when Israel sought him, when Yeshua told them to fast, there was a purpose for it to bring forth judgment upon the enemies. So Isaiah is saying, you guys are doing this outward fasting for your own flesh. You don't have a clue what's going on. And he actually be using the word fasting. He's referencing going back to Judges 19, 20, and 21. He's basically telling them, you're like the tribe of Benjamin, which, is like the tri- which was like the city of Sodom. That's what Isaiah is saying. Another thought about this circumcision and this fasting since he's talking about this. We do this trying to prove ourselves to Yah. We're trying to prove ourselves to others that we're righteous. It really means that you haven't accepted the holiness of Yeshua into you yet. There's still something that you are not receiving from him yet. And you need to dig that out. Do you really, really believe that Yeshua died for you and cleansed you from all unrighteousness? Not in part. So that's the negative side. 
That's what people are, are doing. Why Now, what is a proper fast? So he shows us the proper fast. Verses six, uh, Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? Now he's going to explain the fast that Yahuwah wants. To loose the bands of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. And to let the oppressed go free. And that break every yoke. Is it not to deal your bread to the hungry? That you bring the poor that are cast out of, to, the, to your house. When you see the naked, that you cover him, and that you hide not yourself from your own flesh. This is proper fasting. For, again, the topic, justice and judgment. So this is proper justice, doing what's righteous. And then judgment will follow. Judgment is to help your fellow Israelites repent and return to Yahuwah. It's to get them aligned. This all ties to, back to we sold ourselves for nothing. We were redeemed without money. We're called to buy milk without any money. Our, our mission on your earth is to love Yahuwah and to love each other. So once you get into that place where you are driven, you're compelled, you're operating with the Spirit of God, you're going to be called to fast for judgment upon the wicked that are coming against the body, the children of light, you're going to be called to request judgment for those around you. That's proper. Most of my prayer life is, and I've shared this with you before, is mainly worship. And it's praise and it's being in his presence. And then in terms of the supplications, it's very rarely for me. It's usually for others. And that's the mentality that we need to have as mature believers is it becomes more and more as we go outward, 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 outward. And that's what he's saying a proper fast is. Go fast for those that are pressed. Go fast for those that are held captive. It really ties to Isaiah 61.1. This is the setup, and he's going to get to Isaiah 61, obviously, in a few uh, later. But maturity moves us from thinking and praying for ourselves to others. The goal of maturity is to draw near to Yah and then bring others with you. That is part of the multiplication. Adam and Eve, go be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. Israel gets scattered, and they obviously got scattered for the wrong reasons. But Yah turned it to good in that the scattering then were seeds planted in all the nations of the earth, which he can bring forth light to go gather as many as possible. That's our mission. Our mission is to bring as many other people into the kingdom as possible, to make disciples to preach the good news, to bind the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, open the prison doors of those that are bound. That's our mission. And that's tied to fasting. Also, as part of this fasting in, in verse 7, think about the principle of parties. 
So there's the obvious thing. We are supposed to help the poor, help the widows, help those that are, are suffering. Then there's also the hint of the message. So think about the hint. So to feed people, that also means to bring them the word. It also means to put them in shelter, bring them to Yahuwah's house. To give them clothes also means to give them garments of praise and righteousness. So there's both the literal and then the hint in the spirit that we're supposed to do. Now, I want to spend some time a little bit on this, this phrase that we see over and over again in Scripture because it ties to these verses about the fatherless and the widows. And where does that come from? So James 1.27, we, we all know this, pure religion is to assist the fatherless and the widows. So why does he keep talking about the fatherless and the widows? Because it's all over Scripture. Let's take a look at a couple of examples. Um, Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. Now, Exodus chapter 22, this is the book of the covenant. This is not the book of the law. This is the book of the covenant. Israel chose not to be priests at this time. So you had the Aaronic priesthood, but they did not do the golden uh, calf. So they were not under the book of the law at this time. This is what they were supposed to do. Exodus 22, verse 21. You shall neither vex a stranger, someone who's not an Israelite, but someone who loves God. So now they have become an Israelite. So don't be racist. That's what he's saying. Don't be racist. Nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. That was part of the lesson that you were supposed to learn in Egypt. You shall neither afflict afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry unto me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath shall wax hot and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. This is a really big deal. Uh, Psalm 68. Psalm 68, verse 4. Sing unto Elohim, sing praises to his name, extol him that rides upon the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a judge of the widows, is Elohim in his holy habitation. Holy habitation, his throne, justice, and judgment. Keep that in mind. Elohim sets the solitary in families. He brings out those which are bound with chains. Hear all this the same language with Isaiah? But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. So what, what is he getting at? Why is this so important? It's, it's a condition that is the reflection of our relationship with Abba. It's just not the physical 
fatherless, the physical widow. It means that they are without Abba as a father. Because the father gets removed, now all of a sudden you have a widow and you have fatherless kids. And they don't have the image of a father who's supposed to be the image of the father, Abba. And now that's a spiritual condition. The head is gone. So children now are lacking. We see that in our nation all over the place. The fatherless have no aim. That's the result of the fatherless. Widows, especially back then in that culture, if you were a widow, you did not have inheritance. You, 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 were, you were shunned upon where you typically weren't married again. It was allowed, but most, people, most men did not want to marry a widow. They wanted to marry a virgin. So a widow now was in a place where she was wandering by herself. An orphan was in a place where they were wandering by themselves without the father. So that's why this is such a big deal about the fatherless and the widows. We are to be the father. And that's why Paul said, you have many teachers, but few fathers. That's why that is such a big deal throughout, these, throughout, throughout the scriptures about the fathers. So you want to fast? Fast for the widows and the orphans. Fast for those that don't know Abba. Fast that Abba would come on their behalf and teach them justice and execute judgment because no one is doing that on their behalf. So you stand in the gap. That's what he's saying. The redemption really is Yahweh's tenderness. And like we mentioned last week about the, the eunuch, and then it gets fulfilled in Acts chapter 8. His tenderness to the widow, to me, is immediately reflected in Yeshua's birth. So his parents, Mary and Joseph, take him to the, the, the synagogue to get baptized or dedicated. Really, it was dedicated. He gets baptized when he's 30 as a priest. He gets dedicated as a child on the eighth day. And there's two witnesses. There's Simeon and there's Anna. And Anna has been a widow for over 70 years. It shows in that culture how difficult it was for widows. So she is married. She loses her husband early. And now she dedicates herself to God. And she dedicates herself to God to see the salvation of Yah come into the earth. And she's one of the two witnesses. I think it's so telling and revealing of Yah's tenderness that he picks out a widow to be a witness that the Messiah has come. Because she was a downcast. And she yet found a place in her heart to dedicate over 70 years of her life just to go to the temple and fast and pray every day, every day, for 70 years to see the salvation of Yah. So he fulfills that in his tenderness. And what's also interesting, Simeon, the other witness, 
he actually quotes Isaiah 49, which is talking about Zion and the Redeemer coming for Zion. So this whole thing ties together. So this whole thing ties together. Now we can understand that Isaiah 49 is connected to all of these passages for the Redeemer, not only for the heavens and the earth to rejoice, but to redeem the children of Zion. And Simeon sees this. So all of this is tied together. Um, back to Isaiah 58. Now there's another transition. So Isaiah is trying to root out this religious spirit that is infiltrated and, and completely dismantled true belief in the house of Jacob. And he says, if you do these things, if you do righteousness, Isaiah 58, 8, then, 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 listen to this. Shall your light break forth as the morning, and your health shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness, because you've now done it, shall go before you, and the glory of Yahweh shall be your rear word. Totally different condition. This was the condition that he wanted us to be in from the garden. This is always the place that he wanted us to be. But as we fall and as we are disobedient and then we go off and do our own things, Isaiah is saying, stop, stop, stop. We got to reset ourselves. We got to go back to the Sabbath, reset ourselves and understand why we fell apart. Because I set, sent you watchmen. I sent you shepherds. They messed up. Why we have to reestablish ourselves and how the religious spirit has got in. You even are trying to fast and seek me. You can't even find me out of your fast. This is what you need to do. And when that happens, now light breaks forth. It's conditional. And we've talked about Yahweh's voice having conditions and layers. He wants partnership to this whole thing. If he just spoke, you are the light of the world, it would come into existence. So he puts conditions in there because he wants us to partner with him. He wants us to examine our hearts. And I was sharing... Um, this was someone this week. I still, I still get blown away of why us? Why me? Why us? Why not the angelic host? Why not some other creation that you made? Why not some other race of angels that you made? Why us? And if you have any doubts any time, this is the answer. How did Yeshua come and die? He came as a man. He didn't come as a plant. He didn't come as an animal. He didn't come as an angel. His importance of us is so incredible that he would rather stretch out time, put conditions in it to bring us along to partner because that's the true bridal relationship that he only did it for mankind and mankind's offspring. We're the ones he died for. We're the ones that he came in the image of. Nobody else. 
no other creation. He didn't come as a star. He didn't come as a planet. He didn't come as a dimension. He didn't come in any other form of creation. He came as man. If we're doing righteousness every day, every day our light should impact the earth because his presence is with us. And I think this is also a beautiful picture of what he really wants out of us. Our desire is kind of like Israel. Can the angel of Yahuwah go before us and just drive out the Hittites? But this is not what Isaiah 58, 8 is saying. He's saying that our righteousness goes before us and Yah is our rearward or our covering. We're in partnership. He actually wants our righteousness to make an impact. Think about that. How, are you, how is your righteousness making an impact? It only happens when you are coordinating with the seven spirits of Yah. When you are in obedience where his presence comes. This is a partnership. When his presence is there, his throne is there. And Isaiah is setting us up after hitting us hard with, you guys aren't right, you don't even know how to fast, with this beautiful picture, which is going to be revealed more in the chapters ahead. Verse 9. Then you shall call, and Yahuwah shall answer. You shall cry, and he shall say, here am I. Think about how Isaiah started in his call. Yahuwah calls, and Isaiah responds. Now Isaiah says, we call, and Yah responds. Partnership. If you take away from the midst of you the yoke and putting forth of the finger and speaking vanity, I want to share one thing about this. It's kind of a strange phrase, um, putting forth the finger. So Isaiah, in this whole thing about first mention, Genesis 3 is going to reveal to us what this means. This is uh, another little dig at us that we have to root out. This is going to be real obvious once you see this. Genesis 3, 22. Genesis 3, 22. And this is in the garden. And Yahuwah Elohim said, Behold, man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth or point the finger with his hand and takes of the tree of life to eat and live forever. So this pointing of the finger is tied to the eating of the knowledge of good and evil that has taken place. And now man is not allowed to put forth to eat of the tree of life. So what Isaiah is saying in verse 9 is, 
you got to get the this yoke that is in the midst of you out. Go back to the pointing of the finger. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's in the midst of you now. And it's all about speaking vanity, pride of life, Satan's fall. Get rid of that. And even more so, your light's going to shine forward. So we know all about that in the, in the reference to the Kabbalah there. Let's keep going. So I do want to spend some more time on the verses ahead before we close. Verse 10. And if you draw out your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall your light rise in obscurity and your darkness be as the noonday. Verse 11. And Yahweh shall guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and make fat your bones and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Uh, Montoya said this and uh, was, was, was opening up in conversation and I replied to her, we need to stay focused. We need to stay focused in the spirit and do not look at the natural things around us. Th- this is really what this is getting at, we're supposed to be really different. We're supposed to be an oasis in this desert. We're supposed to have a fully healthy watered garden as there's chaos around us. Same kind of phrase, he prepares a banquet table for us in the midst of our enemies. Turn to Jeremiah 31. We know about uh, Jeremiah 31 because that is the revelation of the renewed covenant. Jeremiah 31, verse 10. You'll hear all the same words. Jeremiah 31, 10. Hear the word of Yahuwah, O you nations, you goyim, you Gentiles, and declare it to the islands afar off, also a reference to Israel, and say that he is he that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him, guard him, as a shepherd does his own flock. For Yahuwah has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. This is all Isaiah 53, 52-53 speak. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together to the goodness of Yahuwah for wheat and for wine and for oil. It's talking about body, soul, and spirit. Wheat for the body, wine for the soul, oil for the spirit, being made whole. And for the young of the flock and of the herd, the orphans, the immature, the young, right, all tied together, and their soul shall be as a watered garden. So your soul is supposed to be totally fruitful. Everything, emotions, intellect will your heart your conscience and they shall not sorrow anymore then they shall then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance both young men and old together for i will turn their mourning into joy and comfort them and make them rejoice in their sorrow from their sorrow and i will satiate the soul of the priests with fatness means they're just going to have so much revelation and sitting at his feet. And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says Yahuwah. So this is this 
this time period that Isaiah is saying is going to come. But it's conditional. Keep going. Verse 12. Back to Isaiah 58, 12. And they shall be of the, shall build up the old waste place, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the path to dwell in. I want to hang out here for a little bit. Leviticus 26. I have had um, the waste cities and the former desolations as a call for me for years before I understood this. Um, I've been a believer for 28 years. Maybe it's been 22, 25 years that I knew this resonated with me way before I understand what it meant. And here's the meaning of these waste cities and former desolations. It comes right from Leviticus 26. And in Leviticus 26, um, verse 31, is the setup of, if you don't obey me, then this is what's going to happen. Leviticus 26 and verse 31. And I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries unto desolation. And I will not smell the savior of your sweet odors. And I will bring the land unto desolation, and your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished in it. Verse 33, and I will scatter you amongst the goyim, the Gentiles, or the heathen, or the nations, same word, and will draw a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. Then shall the land enjoy the Sabbaths. So this whole reference to waste cities and desolations of sanctuaries was because of what Israel did in terms of disobedience. And Isaiah is claiming, is saying that this is going to be raised up. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 22. Same language, Jeremiah 22, verse 1. Thus says Yahuwah, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there to this word and say, hear the word of Yahuwah, king of Judah, you that sit upon the throne of David, you and your servants and your people that enter by the gates. He's basically saying, you that think that you're religious. Come here. Thus says Yahuwah, execute judgment and justice, righteousness. Execute, do and deliver the spoiled out of the land of the oppressor. So get rid of your enemies and do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, nor the widow. Same language. Neither shed innocent blood in this place. For if you do this thing indeed, then there shall enter in by the gates of this house kings sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and horses, he and his servants and his people. But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, says Yahuwah, that this house shall become a desolation. Verse 6, 
For thus says Yahweh unto the king's house of Judah, you are Gilead unto me, the head of Lebanon, and yet surely I will make you a wilderness and your cities will not be inhabited. And I will prepare destroyers against you, every one with his weapons, and shall cut down the choice cedars and cut them, uh, cast them into the fire. So you hear all the same language going on. This is what it means to be the repairer of the breach. Back to Isaiah. It comes from Strong's 1442 is the repairer, Godar. It means to fence up, to hedge, to enclose. Isn't it funny we were talking about a wall in this nation for the last three years? That's what the repairer is supposed to do. What's the breach? It's strong 6556, which is ferrets, which means a breaking forth, a breach or a gap. So what we're supposed to do as part of the waste city return, we'll talk more about this, and the desolation repair is the first thing we're supposed to do. And Nehemiah was, was picking this out. And I know Daniel's talked about this a couple Sunday nights ago. Nehemiah picked up on it. He didn't rebuild the city first. He first rebuilt the wall. He was repairing the breach. Now, what was Adam supposed to do in the garden? He was supposed to keep it, like tend to it, and guard it. Guard it same word to guard this provide a hedge of protection this ties back to the taking care of the garden or taking care of the trees which we are so the repairer of the breach is supposed to build back up the wall or the hedge of protection that all the sheep are in the sheepfold we're supposed to take a look at the gaps where we have been lacked where our fathers have been lax, where the wolf has come in and rebuild it. Remember, this whole thing about fasting is for others. It's our breakthrough to be light unto the world. This is a message for all of you that are the laborers in the field, the leaders within the body. And that's why Isaiah is told, hey, you got to buckle up, Isaiah, because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Maybe we're not supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're doing it for the wrong reasons. We're doing it for our own benefit and not the benefit of the body. We're supposed to be repairing the breach for the fatherless, for the widows, for the orphans, for those that don't know Yah for the lost sheep that don't even know they're lost. Back to Leviticus 26, there's more to it. Leviticus 26, verse 40. If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that also that they have walked contrary to me. 
and that I have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts, not physical bodies, hearts, be humbled, and then and they then accept the punishment of their iniquity because judgment comes, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember and I will remember the land. Now, why is this so important? We know that we're connected to the earth because this whole tie of what Isaiah is getting to in Isaiah 58 verse 12 is it's tied back to the waste cities and the former desolations. Now, we did a whole study a few studies ago about cities and daughters. So you have the city of Zion and the city of Babylon, right? And we know that the city of Zion was barren, never gave birth, was supposed to give birth into Jerusalem and never did. The city of Babylon has all kinds of children and daughters and sons, all these cities. So I don't understand where are the waste cities that we're supposed to raise up? Ezekiel 16. Why are we raising up waste cities that were never birthed from Zion? We read, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. The body of Messiah is going to look really different. <laughs> Ezekiel 16. Do not be prideful. You're fasting and praying for the wrong reasons and without understanding. Ezekiel 16. Verse 1. Again, the word of Yahuwah came to me saying, Son of man, offspring of Adam, you need to repair the breach. That's really what he's referencing. You're Adam's offspring. Cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. Remember, Jerusalem is not birthed out of Zion. So he's saying this to Ezekiel. Verse 3. And say, say to Jerusalem, thus says Adonai Elohim unto Jerusalem, your birth and your nativity is of the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite. And as for your nativity, in the day that you were born, your navel was not cut. Neither were you washed in water supple you. You were not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. You weren't cleaned up. You're still in your filth. Verse 5. No eye pitied you to do any of these to you, to have compassion upon you. See, when you're birthed out of the city of Babylon, they could care less. Satan cares less. You're a tool to be used until your use is no good, and then you get tossed. He could care less. We know that. That's what he's saying to what Jerusalem, how it was birthed from the city of Babylon. 
but you were cast out in the open field to the loathing of your person in the day that you were born. And look at verse six. And when I passed by you and saw you polluted in your own blood, amazing how graphic this is. And I said to you, when you were in your own blood, live. Yes, I said unto you, when you were in your own blood, live. This is an indication of the waste cities. Even though Jerusalem was born from Canaanite background and was nothing, was a mess, had no right to the covenants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God picked it up and said, live. Jerusalem were a bunch of Jebusites. And he said, live. This is the place that I want to birth Zion into. So how does this relate to the way cities? We have cities all over this world, and they're all in this condition. None of them have been birthed by Mount Zion. None of them. And yet we say, eh, enough with them. We'll wait until we get Zion birthed into the earth. And God's telling us, no, you look at them the way I looked upon Jerusalem, they are filthy, they're bloody, no one's taking care of them. You call them forth and live. You build the waste cities. You have the power to do it. If your glory, your righteousness goes before you, I got you covered. I'm sending you forth to be the repairer of the breach of all of mankind, to protect the sheep, to cast out the wolf, that even infiltrated Benjamin, you get that out through prayer and fasting. Now I want you to declare and have visuals outwardly, not to you, but to go get the lost, the fathers and the witherless, which includes the waste cities, and you declare unto it live in prayer. You be the generation that does this. You be the generation that raises up the form of desolation that were sanctuaries at some point in time. Maybe I provided a revelation to some, I'll, I'll give you an example. I live in a town, we live in a town that um, German Lutherans and Irish Catholics and pagans all have history in. And the town is called Cedarburg. How prophetic is that? It is a fortress or a fort of cedar. And cedar is the kingly line, the kingly tree, and they even reference this in Isaiah 58, the kingly line and the fragrance of the king. And it's got all this crazy background. But you can see, it's very spiritual. You can see all the little elements, though, where God was planting seeds. So there is a Baptist church that was um, built, I want to say, in the early 1900s in our town. And there, it's right along the creek. And there's 12 natural steps that go down into the creek. These 12 natural steps. 
because they someone had inspiration not to make it out of man man-made stone but natural stone and 12 representing the governments of yah the disciples of yah the 12 tribes of yah so you have these 12 natural steps probably where they went down into the creek to baptize and when we first moved here there were two angels that were about 20 feet tall that stood on the river they just stood there you, they were so um, almost to the point where they're manifesting in the natural that the trees actually kind of moved around their shoulders and their heads. You can actually see their form in the trees. That was a former desolation where there was truth, there was a planting, and now it's wiped out. And we're supposed to call those things forth. Waste cities, don't disregard any city. He did not, dis he gave Jerusalem for us as an example. Former desolations, where someone had vision 10 years ago, a thousand years ago, and said, this is a place where it's Bethel. And maybe they had an altar there. Maybe they had revelation there. The spirit of God moved mightily upon them. They're all over the world. We need to go raise those things up. That's our call. Our call is to prepare the earth for the return of the king. And what are we doing? Are we in hiding, waiting for all this to pass? Are we clinging with our fingers? Because we're not, we're, we're, we haven't received the full love of God to actually look outwardly. Are we listening to all the news around us and all the events around us and complaining? Oh, God, when are you going to come and clean this up? I can't wait until you return. And he's saying, no, 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 no. If you do righteousness, your light is going to go forth. Your righteousness will precede you. You be the restorer of the breach. You be the ones that raise up the waste cities that are the cities of the earth. You be the ones that raise up the former desolations. That's his message to us. That's why Isaiah had to buckle up. So you're going to have to deliver this message. They're not doing their jobs. I put them on this earth for a reason. Back to Isaiah 58. We've got two more verses. Isaiah 58, 13, 14. He brings it back around. Oh, by the way, if you turn your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight. So if you get away from doing whatever you want to do on my holy day, Yahweh's holy day, and you actually call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of Yahuwah, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then shall you delight yourself in Yahuwah. And I will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of Yahuwah has spoken it. 
He brings it all the way back around to the Sabbath again. Just keep practicing doing what's right and judgment will follow. Keep doing righteousness and his throne and his presence will show up. And the whole plan is so much greater than you think. We're the ones that are supposed to change the the earth upside down. Don't just wait for his return. Do it now. That's the whole message of, of the kingdom. That's the whole message that Dan has in Bride. Stop being victims. Stop getting splinters in your butt. Stop complaining. Stop murmuring. I get it that we all have different challenges. But you're the ones. This is the crazy plan of God. He picked you guys. <laughs> he picked you guys. He picked Matthew, the tax collector. He picked Peter, who couldn't keep his mouth shut. He picked Thomas, who doubted him all the time. So if he picked them, I think he can do something with you guys. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your encouragement. We thank you that your power and your might is available for us to change the world. We thank you that you have not left us nor forsaken us, but you stand right there by our sides. And for the mature out there, He is waiting for you to cry unto him, and he will say, here am I. Father, we receive your love. We receive our hearts to be made anew, that they would be completely bound up, they would be completely healed, that there would be no darkness in them, that it would be filled with your light. We interface our hearts now to the heart of Yeshua. We interface our shoulders with the shoulders of Yeshua, whose government is upon. Your government is upon your shoulders. So we interface with that right now. That it is not a burden for the little tiny things of life that we place on our shoulders that are a burden to us, we take away in the whole government of your kingdom that's upon your shoulders, we interface to, and that is not a burden. That is joy. I ask for strength to go through your body now. that the stumbling blocks would be removed of sight and sound and that strength would go forth to everyone here. That where the world sees darkness, we see an opportunity for your light. Where the world sees death and destruction, we speak a live. Where there's dryness, 
we declare that we are watered gardens. We thank you that you have covered us in your blood, which cleanses us from all righteousness. We thank you that you have washed us with the water of your word. We thank you that you have picked us up and gave us clean garments of righteousness. And for anyone that feels the spirit of heaviness, may they have a garment of praise today. For anyone that is mourning, may they experience the oil of joy. May there be praise in our lips. May your name be sung in our beings. May we be surrounded with songs of righteousness. May our swords be bathed in heaven. We thank you for the seven spirits of Yah, the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh. Teach us how to do righteousness. And bring forth your judgment upon our enemies and upon your body. Teach us how to fast. Teach us how to keep the Sabbath. We lay all of our cares at your feet and ask for you to be the great teacher and the great apostle of our faith. As great a commission as this is, we do not find it burdensome in any way. For we know that you are with us. We call forth the waste cities right now to be cleansed, to be raised up. We call forth the former desolations to be made whole and to be places of sanctification for your presence to be revisited. May our eyes and ears be open to where your mercy is moving around us, looking for the mercy and the love of Yeshua, and of some having compassion on and some pulling out of the fiery furnace, hating even the spotted garments that they are. Father, we lift up our families and our friends around us, those that you have called us to minister to. And we ask that we would be right-minded regarding them, that we would see them as you see them, that we would not harm the widows and the fatherless and the strangers, but we would love them and be patient with them as you are patient with us. We ask that you would remove and root out all lies from our being because you are truth and we only want truth to be dwelling within us. Season us with grace and mercy that our light would go forward 
and our righteousness would be before us and that we would be encapsulated by your presence. May this day be a turning point in our lives and in creation itself. We pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more.